Hi everyone, hope you're enjoying your summer. This episode with Joel Järvinen from Uber was recorded in Stockholm at the end of May, before we finished our semester at Hyper Island. Since then, Uber has launched its services in Finland. More fun news is that you can now find HyperTalks on all Swedish libraries, ebook services, and apps such as BookBeat. Hope you enjoyed this episode. All right, everybody, this is season three, episode eight of HyperTalks. And as always, a big thank you to Beppo Studios for letting us record here. You are the best. My name is Daniel Monson. I'll be your host for this hour. And by my side, I have my awesome co-host, Ebba Zimmerman. Hello. And today's guest, Joel Järvinen. Hello. General manager at Uber Finland and Sweden. And uh, we will get to know you more in depth here in just a minute. Today we will talk about the digital era and how it's creating new ways to work, but also that it requires uh, constant learning and development from the professionals in the business. Welcome, Joel. Thank you. So, before we get started, we would like to propose a check-in. And since you're working at Uber, today's check-in question is, what's your Uber rating? Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) Who wants to go first? (laughs) I can start, actually. All right. I'm a bit nervous now. Yeah, me too. My Uber rating is 4.81. My Uber rating is 4.84. (laughs) My Uber rating is 4.88. Ooh, Ooh. okay, you beat us on that one. (laughs) So I'm the worst customer of us three. (laughs) Uh, well, as we said before, you are the general manager at Uber Finland and Sweden. Correct. I'm a bit uh, interested there. What's included in that role and how does a normal day look for you? Oh, that's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure if there's a normal day. So maybe we start with the first part of the question. So what is included in the role of the general manager is looking after the operations, looking after after our presence in, in these particular countries. Uh, so I'm originally from Finland, started as the general manager for Finland and I also took over Sweden late 2017. So I'll look after the operation team. That is That is the part of the... Uber that's in contact with the, with the drivers and who's looking after the app and, and things on that side. Uh, we also obviously have the local marketing team that then is doing more of the work towards new and potential future riders, uh, different kind of marketing activities, partnerships, etc. And I also uh, very closely work with our communications uh, policy work, uh, so also meeting policymakers, meeting the city officials, discussing about what Uber is, what Uber will want to be in the future and for example how can we work better and closer with cities and, and you could say communities as part of our operations in the countries and of course being the spokesperson in events like this yeah <laughs> awesome but how is it is uber operating in finland right now at the moment not no. uh, so in, in in finland we are looking forward to beginning of july when a new law called a um, law on transportation services will come into effect that is basically a reform Partially reformed that was already done here in Sweden 25 years ago. So opening up the taxi part of the transportation sector for competition, which means that there's not going to be any more caps on on the number of licenses you can get. But anyone who fulfills the criteria can become a taxi entrepreneur or can become a transportation entrepreneur. But then at the same time, the law is taking sort of a step towards the future. Uh, so, so in Finland, the legislation will recognize uh, operators like Uber. There's a, there's a certain category definition for us, certain requirements for us and anyone else who would operate like Uber. And at the same time, sort of getting rid of some of the older legislation that has been there 
in terms of what kind of a technology you need to have in the car, for example, to drive people around against the payment. So it's a very forward-looking, you could say, future-proof law, uh, and we are really looking forward to go back to Helsinki uh, in July uh, 2018 when the law comes into effect. Okay, that's very interesting. Uh, we're actually very curious about your background since we know you studied at Hyper Island. Yes. Do you want to explain a bit what's your background and your education and how you came into the path of working for Uber? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if you want the long or short story, but but I'll I'll try to keep it as short as possible. Uh, so, like I said, I'm I'm from Finland. Uh, I did my studied originally in in Helsinki, so I, I studied at the business school there. Um, graduated in a program called business technology, which is like 50% about business, business management, then on the other hand, IT technology, etc. This was, well, as I always joke, this was before iPhone was available, so <laughs> some time ago. Uh, and then I moved on uh, to working life for a few years. I worked uh, at energy sector. Uh, I was working for a wind turbine manufacturer, one of the biggest ones in the world, doing a bit of IT strategy, business strategy, and then ultimately ending up in a, in a sales position based here in Sweden, but doing sales towards Finland where the market was opening up. I did that until about 2013 uh, when I felt that I want to sort of take a, some kind of a new step in my career. I want to sort of keep on the path of constant learning and and, and development. I had a friend who, who was starting at Hyperland at the time who I had studied with in the past. He was telling me good things about it. I was like, well, I want to stay in Sweden. I want to do something new. Came to Stockholm, went to the Hyper Island Open Doors uh, day, I think it was January. Got really good impression of the school, decided to apply, got the place, and then moved over from Malmö to to Stockholm to do my studies. So studied at the Digital Data Strategy Program for about nine months. And that is actually one of the things I took away from that program was ending up at Uber. So during those studies, we did case studies like you do today as well for, for different companies. And we had one of the that time members of, of Uber Sweden or Uber Stockholm team presenting to us. Um, my team more or less nailed the case study and we actually got to do it in person with Uber in spring of 2014. I got really excited about the company. I had used the product before through friends. I had tried it a few times in Stockholm, but sort of seeing a little bit under the hood what's happening in the company, got super excited about it applied and started there in August 2014. So I'm coming up to four years at the company. So that's your background. Uh, what are you going to do in the future? Do you have any like goals or uh, dreams? <laughs> what do I do when I grow up? That's the constant <laughs> yeah. question, I guess. Uh, well, let's say now at the moment, like I mentioned before, there's, there's this uh, new law coming in Finland. And obviously, as I have been part of the whole process at Uber of during the sort of law preparation phase, uh, part of those discussions. Obviously, for me, it's a big milestone that we get to go back to Helsinki and really get get to bring the, the good service that we have here in Sweden also to, to Finland. So I'd say that's probably the short-term goal. And obviously, it doesn't stop in July 2018, but it will sort of run over for the next, you could say, a year, even longer to be there in, in, in good presence. But beyond that, I don't know. That's That's probably one of the things that defines me as well is that I see that there's a constant change, both in terms of technology, in terms of opportunities. We don't really know how the 2020s will look like in in many, many forms. At Uber, we are are building a vision of flying cars that could be, be, well, not on the roads, but on the skies by 2023. (laughs) So I I think it's, it's, it's one of those things that also got me to hyper in the first place, is to be on this path of constant learning, keeping your eyes open being ready for the change that will be around the corner. So mm. it's, a, it's a hard one to answer, to yeah. be honest. I think it was a good answer. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I think that kind of led us into today's topic about future works and how like you need to constantly learn new things while technology is developing so quick. 
Um, and we've understood that freelancing is a way of working that's increasing a lot. And what opportunities do you see in working independently in the future as a freelancer? I think I think if you look at Uber or if you look at freelancers generally, I think the flexibility and so the kind of freedom is definitely a driving driving factor. We've done studies among among the drivers who decide to drive Uber, and and the thing that always comes on top is is the flexibility, is the freedom. It's the it's the opportunity for you to make the choice of when, how much, for whom you want to work, uh, and then sort of balancing that with the other needs uh, or other situations in life. What's your what would you say is your personal relationship to to freelancing have you worked as a freelancer before not really i've probably been on more of the traditional path in that sense than mm-hmm. being being employed in, in in different companies i mentioned uh, earlier before we started the podcast having done radio gigs so that was probably my my sort of short stint on as a, as a fle- freelancer but for example with with hyper island a lot of the people i studied with decided to, to take on the path of freelancing mm-hmm. directly after the studies and i i think it's in in many cases it was by choice that they want to have the freedom they want to have the opportunity to choose where when and how they and who they work for you know so technology is developing super fast i would say <laughs> yes in many fronts <laughs> yes and how do you think that this pace of the technology will affect the professionals in the field and are there any downsides to working like freelancing when the technology is developing maybe faster than than people can comprehend maybe mm. I, I think that's a good question. I get, I think that goes a little bit back to my own experience of, you know, having a formal education that was sort of relevant when I did it. But then six, seven years later, there's this small machine and that sort of changed the whole game. I was like, I I need to go back to school. I need to sort of re- relearn this. So I think it, it comes back to the fact that given the technology is changing so fast, I, I think nobody can know everything about everything. You you need to specialize. I think that's probably one of the areas. And then on the other hand, you need to recognize the areas where you have the gaps and be sort of on that constant learning of, uh, on that path of sort of constant learning. I'm not that old, but I feel like there's even sort of between my initial studies and where I'm now, the changes have been massive. And I could just imagine those changes in terms of technology and the speed will be even faster in in future. How do you work with constant learning while also having a full-time job? Because I feel like sometimes you have the ambitions that you want to learn a lot of things, but then you don't have the time. How do you fit that in? That is is a good question. Um, I've heard this sort of concept of learning that, especially in in relation to work, 70% of your learning happens at work. So with the things you're doing, the way you're doing things, sort of finding better ways to work, faster ways to work, smarter ways to work. 30% happens sort of through through learning from others. So it might be that you're part of a project, you're working with a colleague that's more knowledgeable in that area, or you find other other sort of uh, ways and mechanisms to, to sort of catch up on things. And then only 10% is sort of formal learning. So classes, schools, uh, etc. And I think then on top of it all, you can, of course, sort of have your mind open for things, read books, uh, learn about things on the on the web and sort of dedicate a bit of your free time for it as well. And that's at least how I've done it. The, like you said, full-time job has full-time responsibilities, but it also has a constant opportunity to learn and develop. It sounds kind of like the model that Hyper Island uses for studies but not really the way that academic school use, or not in my experience at least. Do you think that the education will catch up with this new way of working or new way of learning? I think it will, and I think in, in many ways it has. Piper Island is probably a bit of the 
pathmaker there and one of the first ones to sort of add up to this. But also if I look back, like like I said, I, I lived in Finland until I finished my studies and then moved abroad for a few years. And if I look back to the school where I was and how it's today and how sort of, for example, startups, entrepreneurship, all these things have been brought to the table, even though it's more of a, you could say, more of a traditional academic school, I think they also very much on the pulse of what is learning, what is required in 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 the society today, and especially what is required in the society of, of tomorrow in terms of keeping on that path of learning. If we go back a bit again to working digitally and, and independently, I guess it's now most recently that people have identified the desire to like being able to travel the world while doing the work that they're passionate about, mm-hmm. combine those two kind of. Do you think that this will affect our societies in a way, this digital nomad trend? Yeah, I guess I guess the the will to travel the world has always been there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's a that's a that's a thing people always done it. But of course now with development of technology now it's sort of easier. It's it's much more accessible and available. Will it have an impact on societies? For sure. People will on the other hand gain different kind of experiences that the generations of the people before them did, uh, see the world in a different way. I think it comes also to one of the themes that we work with at Uber a lot is cities. You know, cities were the hotspot of the when developments in the, in the industrial era happened, but they are the, they are also the hotspots when things happen on the technological front. That's where people meet, that's where people come up with the new ideas. And I think in future, this sort of the the importance of cities will be will be even probably stronger than than today as there's more and more people moving into the cities and the cities you might not make a choice between countries but you actually make a choice between cities where do you want to live where do you want to sort of set up shop so to say so the countries kind of fade out in relation to to what city you want to be in kind of i don't know if they fade out but i think the the the, the dynamic changes a bit for yeah. sure yeah it seems like more people want to just live wherever and not be tied up to a country as much as before now that you can work from like all over the world yeah that's that's probably true and, and i think that's probably going back to your question where where countries can also play a role is to be be active on, on recognizing the changes that might happen to, or are happening in the way people live and, and work today does uber drivers consider themselves freelancers Yes. So when we ask the drivers uh, in in Europe, in in US, even here in Sweden, like what's what's the main driver or what's the main motivator for you to to choose to drive Uber? As they can, you know, freely choose the hours and and, and the times and how much they drive. Um, the the flexibility always comes on top. Um, so the flexibility to decide how much, when, where do I drive. Um, so of course I can't speak of on behalf of any any particular driver, but but sort of that is. That is something that that's always always uh, on top of why do I drive Uber? Is the flexibility? Is the ability to decide on on my own hours? Yeah. How do you think that will work if you guys have self driving cars? I think they um, they are not sort of mutually exclusive things. On the f- first hand, uh, self driving cars are still at the very early stage of development. It's obviously a technology where where there still needs to be a lot to be done in order to have them as mainstream. On the other hand, if we if we talk about if we think about the world today. There's there's um, there's a lot of accidents. I can't remember the number now, but there's there's a lot of accidents that happen every day due to human errors. And and just developing this technology further will obviously decrease that number. And on the other hand, if we think of the cities where we operate, we still still see that there's a lot of room, a lot of opportunities, both for for uh, for the drivers to to provide the services we're doing. Even though it was available in more than 600 cities today, there's hundreds of cities more that we could be in future. Mm-hmm. So I think we're on a sort of start of a path at yeah. the moment. In this like freelancing economy or like this 
work situation we might have in the future, we think that contracts more center around like deliverables and not the time spent at work for some freelancers at least. Uh, so this kind of means that the workers commit to a specific output to produce rather than the time spent at the office. And in the same time, there's many discussions about being burned out at work now that you can work like almost 24-7. Mm-hmm. How do you think that our health will be affected by the possibility to work all the time? Well, I think that's that's a, that's a good question. I think that comes to the, again, to the opportunity of choosing your own hours of finding that sort of balance of okay how much time energy effort do i want to put to the work and how much do i want to put to the other things in life and and i don't know if we talk about work-life balance or do just talk about balance in life in a way of of, of making sure that you don't because in a way even though you would have the hourly contract today you could work unlimited hours in a way but yeah. of course of course it's a different dynamic but in any no matter what your work uh, situation or sort of employment situation is, you of course, that should be top of mind for everyone on how to keep the balance between work and other things in life. With less time spent per company, no company would want to take full responsibility for the workers' insurance and taxes and all of that when you're working as a freelancer. How do you think the lack of security can affect being a freelancer? I think I think it's obviously an important question. And again, it comes sort of being a freelancer or being able to work by yourself of course comes with certain freedom but it also comes with sort of certain requirements that you need to sort of fulfill and for example we recognize that there's areas where where we can we 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 as a society probably need to do more uh what we don't at uber for example if we think of sweden uh, we have a partnership with an insurance company for traditional it's it's sort of a traditional tax insurance but changed the way uber works so it's not just about it's it's partially how much you drive so it's also affordable it's also accessible for the drivers who don't do it full-time uh, on the other hand it's also a little bit how you drive so you can actually you can actually benefit from from being being sort of very very good uh, and on the platform and getting good feedback on top of it we recently last week announced that we will roll out certain benefits across Europe uh, for the partner drivers who use Uber, uh, especially for the situations that happen outside of the trip, that happen outside of the platform. So um, sickness, be it uh, parental leave, something else, to, to give a bit of that extra coverage in order to sort of also enable them to still do what they want to do. So be, be, be sort of their own boss. But we as a company can do a few things to, to support them on that front. And I think that's super important because it gives the... It makes the choice easier for somebody who might be sort of thinking, where should I go? What should I do? What do I really want to do? So in the future, the companies might adapt to having freelancers and I sort think, out the security. I, I think the whole society probably. Companies, society at large, but it's super hard to pinpoint who will be the biggest adapter. But obviously change always needs needs change yeah. in, in all, 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 all walks of life. Do you have any special advice for students uh, attending and, and possibly finishing Hyper Island right now if they are interested in a career in in freelancing? Mm, well, if I look at some of the colleagues or the friends I had at Hyper Island, what they did is obviously find your strengths, uh, find the people who can help you forward. I think I think a lot of people, myself included, uh, found the opportunity they wanted to go after by sort of being open talking to people, sort of building a bit of that network. Um, 
And I would definitely sort of recommend of following your heart in terms of what is your calling and what makes you sort of tick because because that's super important in any type of work. Let it be freelance, let it be full-time sort of uh, employment that you just want to do something that makes you excited every morning and makes you get out of the bed and, and change the world. Sometimes at Hyper Island I feel very much in like a tech bubble. But do you think that this way of freelancing can be applicable to other kinds of careers as well? Working for public offices, the municipality or... For sure. Uh, I think so. Uh, in the end, if if you think about a person who drives Uber does, the, the work in itself or the... The transaction itself is not very technical. Uber is more just a technology that brings the driver and rider together and makes sure that in the physical world they can get from one place to another. So I wouldn't see any limitations. Like I think again, the technology is the is is the one that makes the opportunity. And sometimes you just need that keen eye of understanding what could be something very analogical in terms of you know you and me having an interaction one way or another in terms of work, but where the technology can bring us together to do that thing. Or, or again, bring sort of a customer and a seller, seller together to to make that uh, thing happen. Uh, for me, I think it was it was funny actually when I started with Uber here, because like I said, it's it's very techy in a way. Uh, but then then my second or third week in Stockholm, I had been giving a session the the night before or the week before for new uh, drivers who were looking to drive Uber. Uh, and then one morning I was uh, I was walking to the office, which at the time was Slussen, and I was staying here in Södermalm. And then I was standing at red lights and then I see this car and I see a lady waving at me. And it was a lady that I had met just a week before who sort of started driving Uber. So, mm. you know, even though it's it's like our interaction was very much about the technology and how does technology work and how do you accept the trip and how does the payment go, the actual thing still happens in the real world. And, and seeing that with your own eyes that, yes, sort of I, I supported her to get on the road and there she is now waving to me, recognizing. So I think in the end, a lot of work comes to a very analogical place yeah. sooner or later. Mm. Okay, switching lens a bit to cars and Uber. We had your colleague Bodil Sidin here at the first episode of our season of Hyper Talks. So we kind of have the full circle here now. Mm-hmm. What's going on at Uber at the moment, apart from the things that are happening in Finland. What's going on at Uber? Uh, well, I'm, a lot of things are going on at, at Uber. We're taking sort of change in many fronts in, in terms of we discussed about the, the insurance piece and, and providing sort of some of that sort of security for the partners in Europe. Uh, at the same time, we've uh, also explored or are looking at like, how do we get people even more efficiently from A to B. So the idea of Uber originally was that you push a button and you get a car. Um, at the moment, the path we've a little bit taken on is you push a button and you get different kinds of modes of, different modes of transportation that will get you from A to B. Um, so we recently announced an acquirement of a company called Jump Bikes that does e-bikes, basically dockless e-bikes in the cities. They started in San Francisco. They're available in a few other cities in the US at the moment. And the idea is that in the Uber app in the future, you might see these red bikes instead of just cars cruising around and being able to book one of those. And also the other area is um, partnerships with mobility companies on on like how to combine an Uber trip with a public transport trip or with a trip to the airport or from the airport and sort of having a more holistic thinking on how the movement, how the transportation in, in future will happen. And Finland is actually a very interesting case in point because the whole legislation there, it's not like I said, it's, it's not really about taxi legislation, but it's about the transport sector where you think of a mobility. Well, they talk about mobility as a service. And, and that's also one of the paths we've started to explore. That sounds really cool with yeah. the bikes. 
I never want to bring my bike because then I might go too far, which I don't want to bike. So <laughs> I would like to be able to just drop it off somewhere and mm. pick up a new one later. It, exactly. So it gives you the freedom of biking, uh, the the joy of biking, but without the the worry and hassle of where did I leave my bike? Do I get it back from there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I, I find it very interesting. And like I've I've used the city bikes here in Stockholm. I've used the city bikes in Helsinki, and I think these kind of services will be will be very very exciting to bring bring to more markets in the future as well. But you said that these bikes were dock free, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Cool. So it makes it even a little bit more flexible yeah. that you don't even need to awesome. find a dock. How would that work? Technology. Technology is the answer. Well, yeah, it is in a way. You know, you, you have the GPS, you know where the bike is, you can use the phone to unlock it. Unfortunately, I haven't had the chance to try a jump bike yet, but uh, but that's sort of my understanding how it, how it works in, in practice. And then obviously the technology sort of brings the, the location of the bike to your to your phone screen. So it's easy to locate the one you want to book and, book and ride in. In many situations and many locations might be more convenient, faster and sort of easier way to get around than than to hop into a car, for example. So one of the things that we talked uh, to uh, Bodil about was how Uber can you make use of its data to make roads and, and traffic more efficient. Mm-hmm. And personal data has, since that, become a very hot topic, especially related to Uber since the, the data breach in 2016. How has this affected Uber as a company, would you say? I think it's also part of the change we've done in terms of in, in in many fronts. Uh obviously I don't know all the details on on the situation in 2016, but any any sort of mistake, any any event like this obviously makes the company look at okay, what did go wrong? Where did, where did it go wrong? How can we fix it? And and in terms of like separating maybe between the topics of you know, your personal private information versus, for example, this that I assume you discussed with Boodle about the Uber movement, which is more of the high-level data of patterns and trends that we can see in the city when we look at thousands or, I don't know, even hundreds of thousands of trips and seeing where there's traffic jams. And I think that sort of aggregate level of data can be really, really valuable for making the cities um, work better, uh, making the cities sort of run smoother in a way because from that we can see trends and and of course we call it we have a platform called uber movement where we make this data at this high level available for city planners so they can then have another view how to design the cities where to put the roads where not to put the roads could there be a park here and then have a different kind of dialogue on on how the mobility could look yeah i think efficient use of that data can really improve cities. In the sixth episode of HyperTalks, we interviewed Carolyn Rindquist, who is the director of cybersecurity at PwC Sweden. And we actually asked her if she had any question for you regarding the way Uber handles personal data. So her question was, how are you going to make sure or minimize the risk that a data bridge will happen again? How will you work with this going forward? Yes, like I said, uh, it's it's an area of constant, area that needs constant attention and an area where People much smarter than myself are, are looking at it all the time, and obviously, like with the, for example, the recent implementation of the GDPR in, in Europe, etc. These are obviously very important topics for us because um, the privacy and, and data safety is obviously a key to the um, to a service like Uber and the trust of its its users, both the riders as well as the drivers. And also another topic that has been brought up by many guests here in this podcast is self-driving cars. And how is that process going for for Uber at the moment? Yes, um, self-driving cars are still early in in, in its days. So there's still a lot lot of development to be done. We've had an unfortunate accident in in US uh, some time back. And 
based on this, there is an ongoing investigation to understand what has gone wrong, to understand what has sort of led to this situations and then make those corrective actions as well. Like I said, self-driving cars will probably be the part of the future at some point, but at the moment we're still at sort of very, very early, early times of, of that. And uh, if we talk about sort of the future, we are also already imagining what could be a self-driving or dro- flying vehicle could look like or flying car look like. But obviously that is part of the discussion we also want to have with cities, with regulators, with decision makers on one needs to change at the society or in the city is large, that these kind of services could be available to the wider public in, in future. Do you think that this accident will hinder the process of self-driving cars or people's view of accepting self-driving cars into their society? It will probably change someone's personal opinion. But I think on, on the other hand, like I said, in this unfortunate situation, we are doing everything we can to investigate what has happened, to learn from that mistake and make sure that these kind of things wouldn't happen in the future. But like I said, it's early days, uh, so we'll probably still need to wait for a while before these services would be available to the wider public in general. On a more um, local level, what's going on at Uber in, in the Nordics? So in Finland, we are coming back in July with the new new legislation. Here in Sweden, we actually very recently, just around the corner at München Brukeri, uh, celebrated five years in Sweden. Um, so we've been here for a while already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a celebration especially towards the uh, the drivers and the partners who've been with us. Uh, some of them actually have been with us from the very beginning and still are, still are driving. And, and of course, many have come to the platform to drive Uber on the way. It's a sort of a good reminder of five years ago, we were much smaller. Uh, what we did as a company which was very, very different from what we do today. The idea was still the same. You push a button and you get a car. But then all these things in terms of bikes or sharing data with uh, sort of sharing the aggregate data with city planners or having the view on what the future of mobility could like look like maybe there were sort of ideas but they definitely weren't topics to of of high high level discussions yet uh and i i find it super exciting to be working with with sweden and finland where where we are sort of uh have been around for a while and 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 are doing exciting things both for riders and uh, partners uh, we also celebrate here in stockholm um Uh, the Ramadan uh, to a dinner that was open for for any partner who would like to join, and we had a pretty nice uh, participation on on people coming in in the evening, having some time with friends and and the team here in Stockholm, and and just sharing thoughts, sharing food, sharing some good times. All right, it's time to check out, like we do at Hyper Island, and like we always do in this podcast. And Ebba, you have a checkout question for yes. us today. We want to check out with the question, what is something you're looking forward to right now in your life? Well, I can start. Uh, what I'm very, very much looking forward to is the July and us going back to Helsinki, uh, given it's been a sort of exciting four years at Uber. And now we sort of get to provide the same opportunity in Helsinki that we are doing, for example, here in Stockholm, both for the riders and drivers. Pretty long checkout, but also it's been a it's been a long and interesting road to get to that point. Yeah. yeah, looking forward to follow what will happen there. Absolutely. I'm checking out with that I'm looking forward to assessment at Hyper Island being over. But that's also kind of go two ways because I'm also not looking forward to say goodbye to everyone at Hyper Island. It will feel weird to exit the bubble. I'm looking forward to uh, midsummer, Swedish holiday. It's my favorite holiday. You have a long day with uh, good uh, food and, and drinks and, and friends and stuff. And that's actually already been when this podcast podcast airs. So hopefully I had a, a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Hope so. <laughs> We want to wrap up this by saying 
Thank you to uh, Joel so much for being with us here today. Thank you for sharing some very interesting insights. Also again, thank you to Beppo Studios for letting us record here. And I have a last question here for Ebba. If people want to like find us on, on social media, what do they do? They search for Hypertalks and they start following us. Yes. And also in the podcast app that you use. 